Welcome to Jewish History Matters. I'm Jason Lustig, and I'm excited to share this episode with Lior Sternfeld about the history of the Jews in Iran. Lior Sternfeld is an assistant professor of history and Jewish studies at Penn State. We'll be talking today about his first book, Between Iran and Zion, Jewish Histories of 20th Century Iran. Lior's fascinating and important book presents a systematic history of the Jews in 20th century Iran, which helps us to reach a sophisticated understanding of Iran and the region at large in a few ways. It dispels two master narratives about the history of Jews in Iran. First, a lachrymose history that highlights Jews as persecuted throughout all time. And secondly, a Zionist teleology that presupposes migration to Israel as the predestined end of this story of Iranian Jews. In addition, Lior presents Jews in Iran as part of the broader culture, not as something separate or aloof. By situating the history of Jews in Iran within the context of Iran itself, the book leads us to understand how Iranian Jews have been involved in all sorts of cultural and political developments, including the 1979 revolution. And finally, I'll point out that the book calls into question some of the assumptions about what it meant for Jews to leave Iran. And ultimately, it suggests that this history isn't over yet. It's still developing whether we're talking about the continued Jewish presence in Iran, which has the second largest Jewish population in the Middle East behind Israel, or whether we talk about the Persian Jewish diaspora in places like Israel, LA, and elsewhere. Altogether, I was so glad to be able to sit down with Lior and talk about this book and the big picture issues we can learn from looking at the history of Jews in Iran. Before we get into the episode, I should say thank you for subscribing. And if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you share it with a friend. You can find the Jewish History Matters podcast on all the major services and apps, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and so on. And you can follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Jewish History FM. And we've got a Facebook group too. You can find this particular episode with Lior Sternfeld at jewishhistory.fm slash Iran, where I've also posted a link to the book's introduction if you want to check it out. I do hope you take a close look at the book, Between Iran and Zion, Jewish Histories of 20th Century Iran. And if you purchase the book directly from Stanford University Press, you can use the code STERNFELD20 for a 20% discount. Again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode of Jewish History Matters with Lior Sternfeld about the history of Jews in Iran. Hi, Lior. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for hosting me. Yeah, I'm just so glad that we get a chance to sit down and, and talk about your really exciting book, which I think as you know, listeners will, will understand, deals with a, a really important set of issues as we try to understand modern Jewish history as a whole, the history of the Middle East, and the history of Iran in particular. So I want to start out actually with something that I saw on the cover of your book, which is that you know, the first thing I did was I got your book and I read the back cover. Something that was there 
that was just so striking. And I know that the back of the book is often written by the publisher, not by the author, but nevertheless, was that it noted, besides Israel, Iran is the country with the largest Jewish population in the entire Middle East. And so this is just like so interesting because I think there's this popular perception about how people tend to think, you know, there are few Jews in Iran, that this history is essentially over. And I want us just to get started by thinking about to what extent do you think that people have overlooked the history of the Iranian Jews and why you think it's important to look at this history of the Jews in Iran and to correct some of the misperceptions, especially when we talk about it in terms of the numbers that people think Jewish life in Iran is kaput, but actually it's the country with the second largest number of Jews in the whole region. This is a great question, but for me, the issue of Jewish history in Iran, Jewish life in Iran, Iran being home to the second largest community in the Middle East, it's about addressing assumptions that people uh, have regarding Iran because of the relations between Iran and Israel after 1979, because of the history of Jews in the Middle East outside Iran since 1948, and also the perception that Iranian Jews, if there is a community to speak of, they are like the Soviet Jews behind Iron Curtain. They are not in touch with the world. They are waiting to be rescued. And I think that this is something that it's very existing notion when talking about Iranian Jews in the 20th and 21st century. I think that what you're saying here is really important. You are comparing the history of Jews in Iran with other kinds of oppressed Jewish communities. And it has to do with the way in which it is perceived by Jews in the West, particularly in the U.S. and in Israel, I think that what you're really getting at here is that if we want to understand the history of Jews in the region of the Middle East, we need to kind of take off the perspective of the present where we see Israel and Iran as antagonists of one another. And we need to go back to another time when it was not exactly the same situation. And we need to understand history through its own point of view and not from our own perspective from today. And also to do away with the major generalizations that usually characterize this kind of conversation regarding Iran or other countries. We need to look at the history of Iranian Jews. In, I chose to focus on the 20th century. In modern times, every period in Iranian history presented new set of challenges and opportunities for Iranian Jews. And this is something that we should look and examine the context of the Iranian society, not in a secluded way of looking at the Jewish community as one community that is not connected to the historical tradition. And this is something that I'm trying to do in the 20th century, which presented several opportunities and, and challenges with Zionism, with Iranian nationalism, with globalism and responses to different global trends. Yeah. So you brought up how you're really focusing on the 20th century. This, I think, brings forward one of these challenges that you mentioned towards the beginning of the book, where you talk about there are a number of ways in which one can construct the history of, of Iran's Jews. You are focusing on the 20th century, but there's also a much longer history going back essentially to ancient times. How does this dynamic play out in terms of Jews in Iran and the Persian Jewish diaspora and how they see themselves and how they are perceived by others in terms of how we frame this history as a way of understanding the present? So the ancient history is very essential to understanding the Iranian Jewish identity in the 20th and 21st century. Look, this is something that I mentioned as an anecdote in the beginning of my book, that every personal history starts 2,700 years ago when they first came to Iran. Iranian Jews being almost the original Iranians is something that is central to the Iranian Jewish identity. 
it has been used and misused in many ways in the 20th century and 21st century, especially in the diaspora communities. This longing to the pre-Islamic period or the idea of Cyrus as the liberator of Jews. These are modern constructs. I mean, there, there are works that are now being done on the, the first declaration of human rights, which is very generous reading of uh, historical artifact. In any way, the usage of this long history is now to justify one of the readings is why Iranian Jews still remain in Iran today, even though they have the opportunity to migrate to other places. But also in the diaspora communities, sometimes it translates into reading of why Iranian Jews should maybe lead the opposition to the Islamic Republic or to justify taking sides against Iran in the global politics today. I think what you're talking about here about how a vision or an imagination of the ancient past plays a role in terms of the politics of Jews in Iran and also Jews in the in the diaspora of, of Iran really strikes a chord with a whole range of other elements of Jewish history where we see the idea of the ancient history of the Jews in a place as a claim of rootedness yeah. in that place is really important. I'm most familiar in this instance with the German Jews, you know, that being one of the areas where I, I focus in my research. But you see also these claims of the Jews in Worms in Germany. They make this claim that the Jews have been there since the 6th century BCE. You have the claim that the Jews are part of the migration of the Volkerwanderung. There are all these ways in which people are wanting to claim that they are a part of the society in which they're living. And the association with the ancient past or with medieval or whatever is an important part of this. And I think that what you're highlighting here is that there is a distinction between how we look at things from the perspective of the group themselves and how they want to use history for the, the construction of their own narrative of self and the way in which we want to look at it from the perspective of you know, just what has happened in the past 100, 200 years. Yeah, and, and the question that is essentially modern of the question of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Like, are we authentic enough? What is authentic Iranian identity? Who can claim to be authentic Iranian? This is certainly one of the angles that can be played. This really speaks to, I think, one of the major interventions of your book, which is this question of how we understand the history of Iran in modern times and how the Iranians have understood themselves as well. Because you contrast the idea of the history of Iran as the history of minority groups, the Jews among them, in opposition to various attempts over the course of the 20th century to try to unify the country under a single identity, whether that has to do with Islam or with anything else. Can you maybe say a bit more about as you're thinking about the role of history and the construction of the identity of the Iranian Jews, how your approach to this history contributes to our understanding of this discourse throughout the course of the 20th century of the attempt at constructing a unified national identity in a country that is incredibly diverse. So this diversity is something that the historical tradition of Iranian history and the historiographical tradition of Jewish history didn't try to challenge. The project of unifying Iran was something that, especially under the Parvi monarchy, this is something that was the biggest project of the 20th century. How do you take a country of 27 ethnic and religious and linguistic minorities and turn them into one unified, more or less unified nation? And the idea was that if you write this one history from above, something that look at Iran as, as a political unit, unified by culture and administration, the differences will disappear. There were all sorts of, of laws that prevented minorities from teaching the languages or writing or publishing the languages. 
again, trying to, to create, to manufacture this unified Iranian identity. Mm-hmm. It worked to some extent. Many minorities essentially came to seeing themselves as Iranian. Others could not voice their resistance effectively. And in terms of, and from the tr- tradition of Jewish history, there was never, until 20 years ago, there was not really an attempt to read Jewish history as part of the local society. It was always much more connected to the Jewish world, the Western Jewish world, or the the idea of, of a Jewish world. We never tried to see Iranian Jews as part of the Iranian society or Egyptian Jews as part of the Egyptian society and so on. And... 20 years ago, we started to see a revolution in Jewish history of the Middle East with Joel Benin's book on the Jews of Egypt. And recently, in the past 10, 15 years, we, we saw many of the books about Iraq by Orit Bashkin and Egypt by Rami Ginat and others. So we really see this new way of looking at, at the Jews as part of the society and not as a secluded, isolated community. Yeah, so I think this is a very important point that I want us to dig into a little bit more which is to say that that you are highlighting ways in which there has been a general shift in the way in which scholars are talking about the history of the Jews in the Middle East and the various communities in different countries. And so when you look at your discussion and you're thinking about the history of the Jews in Iran and how you are contributing to this shift, why do you think that this approach is so important? Why do you think that understanding the history and the role of the Jews within the Iranian society, both from the beginning of the 20th century through the Pahlavi dynasty and now in post-revolution Iran, what's going on there? How is this contributing to our understanding of a broad set of issues and that we see this, this overarching historiographical trend that, that you were just talking about bringing us to a big picture understanding of, of a new approach and why it matters? Look, as a historian, I think that simple narratives and simple explanations don't help us. <laughs> and it doesn't help us in understanding Iranian history. It doesn't help us to understand the relations between Iran and Israel today. It doesn't mm-hmm. help us to understand the, the role of Iran. I was trained as historian of modern Iran, and I came to study Iranian Jewish communities as a historian of Iran. So for me, the tapestry of Iranian society was something that I wanted to understand better, not just to highlight the role of the Jews, but also to see what it tells us about, to talk about it very superficially. There is a project, you know, in the U.S., in Israel, in the West, broadly speaking, of vilifying Iran. And it's much easier to vilify a country when you don't know anything about it and you make those broad generalizations that uh, everyone are made of the same cloth. It's much easier to create those horrible assessments of, of country when you know nothing about it. But when you tell people that Iran is actually a country of minority, when you tell people that Iranian Jews had many sets of loyalties to Judaism, to their Jewish identity, to the Iranian nation, to the society in which they lived, to other minorities, to Israel, but in many levels and different connections. I think that it helps to start smarter conversations about the Middle East in general, about Iran, and about Israel as well. Um, So I think this is a really important point, right? Because you are talking about the way in which historical ignorance feeds into fear, and it feeds into simplistic narratives and simplistic political programs and agendas as well. So when you're saying that there are perhaps a a misunderstanding of Iran and the 
Jews in Iran, which is leading to these types of things. What would you say are the one or two things that really arises from the misperception of the Jews in Iran and how your work perhaps helps to correct some of those misperceptions? And then finally, without asking too many questions at once, why does it matter for all of these things to be taking place and in, in your intervention within it? I don't know if I can find one thing that I find more important than others, but I would say something that people keep asking me in, in book events and so on, uh, which is the question of Iranian Jewish Zionism. And there is this argument that Iranian Jewish community was always very Zionist. And this is something that Iranian Jews take pride of, Iranian Jews in the diaspora, of course. This is something that came up in the writing of Habib Levi and other community leaders and I'm not arguing against it. I'm not saying that Iranian Jews were not Zionists. I'm asking what did it mean for them to be Zionist? What was their concept of Zionism? Was it necessarily immigration to Israel? Was it giving money to Israel? What was the nature of Zionism? And what I see, what I show in my book is that Zionism meant different things in different times. And there was the concept of Zionism as as the land of Zion, which is the holy land, and it was what I call spiritual Zionism. There was definitely, in some times, a very unique relationship with Israel. And this is something that puts Iran in a very uh, special place in the Middle East, because after 1948, Iran is the only place in the Middle East where Zionist organizations could operate openly. Yet the majority of the population chose not to immigrate to Israel. This is something that I'm totally intrigued by. Like, how can it be that in a place that the population so sympathetic to Zionism and Zionism could operate openly, we see that there's no kind of uh, response as we saw in other places in the Middle East? Yeah, no, I think this is a really important element. Uh, and it goes far beyond the history of the Jews in Iran. When you're saying that it's a question, you know, did Jews in pre-revolutionary, I mean, you're talking here mostly about pre-revolutionary Iran, right? Yeah. So you're saying that when Jews in pre-revolutionary Iran had a Zionist orientation, it didn't just mean immigration to Israel. It could have meant, like you said, supporting Israel in other ways through philanthropy, you know, et cetera. And what I think important here is I think that especially from the American perspective, from the perspective of Jews in America, there's often this assumption that American Jews have had a diversity of ways of approaching Zionism, but that many other countries, this is not the case, that throughout the rest of the world, and I think this is an extension of a kind of fallacy of American exceptionalism, broadly speaking, there's this idea that the American Jewish relationship with Zionism is unique in comparison with other places around the world. And I think that what you are saying here is that we can look at a place where we kind of assume that the Jews are persecuted and you know, that is so different from, say, for instance, America. But in fact, there's actually a very diverse set of approaches to Zionism and that this is not just something that we see in America. Yeah. Another thing that I show in my book is that in 1961, I think, there is this memo in the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs that basically effectively halted all the attempts to get Iranian Jews to immigrate to Israel. And they say it in the memo that Iranian Jews should now be regarded as the same level of American Jews, Australian Jews, and South African Jews. Jews that are, they have the sense of security, they are connected to the homeland in ways that Israel cannot replace, and they effectively stopped all the Aliyah operation. So this is similar to the Blaustein Agreement in the U.S. case where the Israelis basically say, you know what, we're not going to actively try to encourage Jews to emigrate from, yeah. from America to Israel. Yeah. yeah. I think this brings forward the title of the book, Between Iran and Zion. And 
I think that this is important because in a lot of ways, I think that the core of what you're dealing with is this question of the nature of Zionism, both Zionism amongst the Jews in Iran, as well as the way in which Zionist historical narratives and, and Zionist approaches to understanding the Jewish condition and Jewish history around the world perhaps affected the way that people have perhaps misunderstood the history of, of Iran. And this ties back into something you were just saying before, that you that you initially approached the history of the Jews in Iran through the lens of Iranian history. And yet when you look at the beginning of the book, you read through the introduction, you spend a lot of time engaging with issues of Jewish historiography. And in particular, you're talking about what you call two historiographical fallacies, the lachrymose history of the Jews, the idea that the Jewish history is a, a parade of tragedies, and also a kind of a Zionist teleology. When you're talking here about reconsidering the nature of Zionism in Iran, this is part of that second aspect of, of the Zionist teleology. So how is it that Jewish historiographical issues came to have a central place in your thinking on these issues when you began the project from the perspective of Iranian history, and then also why you think that it's so important to correct these kinds of, of approaches that you think are incorrect to the extent that the question of Zionism and, and a Zionist teleology even came to, to be essentially in the title of the book. What is going on here in terms of what you've tried to correct in the book, and why do you think it's so important to, to look at the history of the Jews in Iran through that particular lens? As I mentioned, I came to this topic as a historian of modern Iran. Jewish studies was not my field. This is a field that I had to train myself in it. And it emerged essentially from the point that when I started to look at the history of Jews of Iran, there was not a single monograph that addressed the history of Jews in modern Iran that was written in the past 50 years. The last book that dealt with 20th century Iran was written in 1961, and it's the comprehensive history of the Jews of Iran uh, that was written by Habib Levy in 1961. So this is something that I wanted to correct. And I just want to point out that the second part of the title is Jewish Histories of 20th Century Iran, which is, for me, it's also to say that this is not a definitive history of Iranian Jews. This, the, it's just illuminating the many histories that existed for these communities. And... I wanted to address the very simplistic understanding of the Iranian Jewish experience in the 20th century. Mm. We see that in the 1950s, 1960s, many Iranian Jews in the writing talk about their identities. This is something that they deal with. I mean, it's, it's in the middle of major nation-building projects in Iran. It's the peak of Zionism in, in Iran and Israel. There are many things to deal with. And we see Iranian Jews that define themselves as, as Iranian nationalists, as communists, and, and Zionists. From our understanding, I wondered how can they consider themselves like <laughs> all the three categories in their one identity. And then you realize that communism doesn't mean necessarily communism in the way that we understand it in the 21st century, or rather in the understanding of the Cold War as this ideology that leaves no room for uh, compromise or... And also, what does it mean to be Iranian nationalist as a Jew and a communist? Like, what part of it does it take? And, and add to it the Zionist identity. And Zionist identity was something that I understood in the beginning of the project that is something that I have to dismantle. I have to, to investigate. I have to, to see pretty much on an individual basis what it meant for every one of my interviewees, of, my, of the people on whom I write. 
it can't be just taken as a one category that uh, one size fits all. And the same I did for Iranian nationalism and communism. Yeah, I think that your focus on multiple histories is really important. And again, this is part of a bigger trend uh, where we see an emphasis among scholars of on plural histories. What I like about it, among other things, is that the idea of multiple histories or multiple pathways through history really gets at the heart of your criticism of those two fallacies that we discussed before, uh, because both the lacrimose history of the Jews and the idea of a Zionist teleology are based on the idea of a singular history. The lacrimose idea that everywhere you look, there's always a history of tragedy right. uh, and persecution for the Jews. And likewise, the, the fundamental idea of teleology is that you have an endpoint and the history is going towards. When you talk about multiple histories of the Jews in Iran, you know, what are those multiple histories? Can you maybe sketch out very briefly sort of where you see those different paths going and how they perhaps go in different directions? The lacrimose history, in fact, we see that it never, it never ended. I mean, we just see now how there are organizations in Israel trying to create this day of remembrance of the expulsion and, and departure of Middle Eastern Jews. And we see that in all the publications, the official publications, there is one lacrimose narrative. Jews experience nothing but persecution and plunder and humiliation. And that was Jewish history. And then they were redeemed by Zionism. And it leads me to the question of Zionist ideology, because in the Iranian case, it's uncashed <laughs> claim because Iranian Jews overwhelmingly did not move to Israel. So how come we still talk about this component of identity of Zionism or the Zionist ideology in a way that characterizes Iranian Jews, when in fact the majority of Iranian Jews never chose to, to immigrate to Israel. And then last thing is that what I read in the history of Iranian Jews referring to the category of Zionism, again, I read it in the context of Iranian history and the Iranian society and all the other projects that simultaneously took part in their lives. And what I see is that, for example, the immigration of Iranian Jews from 1948 to 1953 which was the first major wave of immigration of Jews. There were about 20,000 Jews immigrating to Israel. And one of the things that I consider is, can we find what do they have in common? And you see that these are based on reports from Israel, from the Jewish agency, from Iranian sources. These were the poorest and the neediest of the Iranian Jewish communities. Okay, so we can find, on top of the Zionist argument, we can find social, economic reasons for them to immigrate. Then we can talk about the, the second wave of immigration out of Iran after the 1979 revolution. And we see that 70% of the community, this is a major tragedy, this is a major blow to the project of Iranian Jewish life. And we see that 70% of the community chose to live in the decade after the revolution. And then we can assume that it happened because there were Jews. But also uh, what I ask is, can we see it in, you know, as, as a class thing? So we see that in these years, there are millions of Iranian immigrants moving out of Iran. They were all members of the middle class and upper middle class, just like the Jews were. And they moved to places like Los Angeles, for example. And Iranian Jews in this time chose to leave to Los Angeles and not to Israel. Again, I want to read it within the context of the Iranian society. Mm -hmm. uh, they chose to leave to places where other Iranians of the same class moved to. So this is how I'm trying to challenge Zionist historiography as well as Jewish or the lacrimose historiography and so on. 
but I'll push you on this. So you're making this argument that that the history of the Jews in Iran is not a particularly Jewish history, but it parallels the broader trajectories and pathways of the history of Iran itself, right? That the Jewish people in Iran who left after the revolution were very similar to the same kinds of people who were also fleeing after the revolution. I'll push you on this here. So what are we learning from this? What's the big takeaway from this kind of approach that you're suggesting in terms of how we understand this history? First of all, I think that it helps us to understand the very broad and flawed categories of Mizrahi and Sephardi identity as as lumped together. All the histories from Morocco to Iran are part of the same narrative. Again, this is something that was misused and abused by many historiographies, but also by by organizations and, and governments. So I want to ask, if we see it in a more nuanced way, can we understand differently the history of the Middle East, the history of relations between Jews and, and non-Jewish societies in the Middle East? Can we envision different existence of Jews in, in this region? So I think that, that what you're referencing here and, and what listeners might not know is that you've written this book about the history of the Jews in Iran, but you've also been writing a lot recently about these issues about how the history of the Mizrahi and the Maghreb Jews have been kind of put to political use in Israel. You recently wrote an essay in Haaretz and also for History News Network with Ari Dubnov, peeling back a little bit of the story of, for instance, this day of commemoration for the expulsion of the, the Jews of Arab lands. And this, of course, receives a lot of attention so when you're talking about how this history is used and abused within Israel, right? and, and this I think is, is the heart of your critique of the Zionist approach, right? that you're saying that the history of the Iranian Jews and the history of the Middle Eastern Jews in general is uh, kind of becoming a, a piece in the political game, so to speak, in terms of how Israeli politicians and leaders and Israelis, broadly speaking, understand their place within the Middle East. And you're making this argument that that the emphasis on the expulsion of the Jews from Iran and also from other countries has to do kind of with the erasure of Middle Eastern Jewish history in the service of a kind of a Zionist master narrative. And I just, I'm just bringing this forward because I think that this is really the critical aspect here, that part of what you're doing here is highlighting what I might even call like a negation of the of the Arabic Jewish diaspora, saying that, that this history is over. We're creating a new Jewish history in, in Israel and so on and so forth. So like, what's going on here? Like, why is this issue important to, at, to look at? At the same time, the, the historical project here is not just to erase Jewish past. It's also to create this idea that Jewish-Muslim animosity is something that predates everything else, that there was no chance for a decent existence of Jews in the Arab lands, in Iran, even the name that they chose for this day, the expulsion of Jews from the Arab countries and Iran, when in fact Jews were never expelled from Iran. <laughs> I mean, as we started this conversation with the fact that Iran is still the home for the uh, second largest community in the Middle East. But this is something that gets very little uh, mention in the text of this day. And the essay that I co-authored in Arts with Dr. Menashe Anzi from Ben-Gurion University, we go against the lacrimose historiographical tradition, but we also say that narratives or counter-narratives of golden age are as useless and childish in the same way. What we want to say is that History is complicated. History is messy business. We cannot say that Jews suffered for 
1400 years they suffered from persecution and the Vimy status and it was enforced in the same way in all the Arab and Muslim lands. And we, and we also go against the idea that Jews experience this golden age under Islam and it's as useless as the Lacrimos narrative. You know, I think that we keep throwing around these kind of insider terms among historians. Like if you were to pull aside anybody at AJS, at the Association for Jewish Studies, which is actually where we're sitting right now, and you start talking about the lacrimose conception of Jewish history, they'll understand what we're talking about because this is a reference to this kind of monumental essay by Salo Baron. But what I want us to, to think about here is not just how this fits into the trajectory of the way that historians approach history, but about why it matters in a very broad sense. And I think that what you're talking about here, about these essays that, that you wrote and, and co-wrote, is that these issues matter. There's a reason why, on the one hand, these essays were shared so widely online and also why there was also a huge pushback from certain people who perhaps understood the claim that you were making to be threatening to the way in which they understand the world. I was wondering if you maybe want to comment a bit about why it is that these debates about the nature of Jewish life in Iran, about the question of expulsion, what is the true stake here when we're talking about about these debates? Why do people react so much to the pieces that you've written recently on the issue. This is my my personal opinion, and you or any other person who may have read this essay can say other things. I think that now we're sitting here in December 2019. Now the, the relations between Jews and Muslims, not just in Israel, but also we see claims of uh, Muslim anti-Semitism across Europe and questions of relations between Jews and Muslims in America, in Europe, in Israel. And there's always this tendency to go back to the Vimy question. Jews lived as Vimy's throughout the, the Muslim world. And the Muslims always try to, to show and, and exercise their superiority. And they will never accept any solution that would give Jews dignity in this arrangement. And I say, well, that's not true. I mean, part of it is true for some periods, for some places, but this is not the way that you can characterize 1,400 years. And, you know, over the years, there were many notorious attempts to write those long histories of linear narratives. There was this, this book by Martin Gilbert that came out about 10 years ago in Ishmael's tent, in the house of Ishmael, I think it, it was called, which literally tried to write history of Jews for over a thousand years from Morocco to Iran. And I say, wow, that's, that's quite an aspiration, you know, to write something like that without having Middle Eastern languages, without having any ability to read sources or to even speak to people who live there. And what I'm saying is that, but unfortunately, these kind of compelling, simple narratives were pretty dominant in the conversation about Jewish-Muslims relations. And what I'm trying to show or to say or to claim is that all of these generalizations are useless when we talk about history in the 20th century, in modern times, even in, in early modern times. We have to really look at, at it case by case and to see the Jewish life were characterized by lots of terrible events, but also by many events of success and integration and assimilation and cultural mutual influence. And, and we cannot overlook one or the other. I think that you are describing here, again, is part of a much bigger trend of scholars trying to emphasize that it wasn't always so bad, 
for the Jews. And, and I think that, that when we look at the history of the Jews in Iran and we try to periodize it right between various eras and times, one can certainly look, for instance, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and say, okay, right, Iran is a place where there are many Jews and people going back and forth to Israel even. And then, of course, everything changes in 79 in a lot of ways. So to what extent does your argument and analysis hold up for the period after 1979 up to the present, essentially, where I think that there are many people who will come to your book, come to what you're saying to this conversation and say, okay, great. Lior is saying that it wasn't always so bad. Right. Right. But once you get to the revolution, then it just turns dark. So to, to what extent does the revolution change things? And also, if I could just add one last thing, you also make this argument about the role of Jews in the revolution. So how does that also affect sort of our understanding of how the history of the Jews in Iran shifted in that period and, and beyond? The revolution certainly changed things for Iranian Jews as well as for Iranian non-Jews. <laughs> this was the most defining event of the second half of the 20th century and until today. So this is something that we have to acknowledge that this was an event that changed everything. However, I think that what proves that my argument is still relevant even after the revolution is, again, I go back to the fact that there is still a vibrant Jewish community in Iran. Even after this major transformational event as the Islamic Revolution, we still find a Jewish community that is trying to assert its place in the nation, that is trying to respond to many contradicting streams in the Iranian society, fighting for their place, fighting to voice their opinions and fighting, even I would go back to the period of the presidency of Ahmadinejad, fighting anti-Semitism and do it in ways that were in many ways were overlooked by, by us, by Western observers of Jews in, 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 the, in the Muslim lands. So I think that if anything, I think that it proves the, the argument. But another way to look at it is from the diaspora that we see today that Iranian identity is very much a defining feature for Iranian Jews in ways that perhaps I don't know how many how many other diaspora groups have this kind of strong relations to the culture, to the language, to the to the idea of the Iranian nation as much as the Iranian Jewish diaspora communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I want to come back to the, the to the diaspora of the Persian Jews or the Iranian Jews uh, in just a moment. I want to focus a bit more still on, on the revolution because I think that this is really a critical argument that you're making here and, and something that really shocked me in a lot of ways, which is to say that, that you were saying that, that Jews in Iran were part of the revolution. And I think that, that you were also quick to qualify that by saying Jews were not the cause of the revolution and they, of course, were not the leaders of the revolution. You know, this is the Islamic revolution. But can you maybe say a bit about the role of Jews in the revolution, which, again, I found to be so surprising and so interesting, and then... What do we take away from that? How does that help us to reassess our understanding of the Islamic Republic of Iran? All right. So I think that what it shows is that at some point in the 20th century, Jews started to think of themselves first and foremost as Iranian. And when the struggle against the tyranny of the Shah started, they didn't think of themselves as Jewish Iranians. They thought of themselves as Iranians. And it didn't matter much. Well, it did. But again, it's complicated. They didn't think only about the relationship between the Shah and the Jewish community, which considered themselves protector of the Jewish community, beneficiary of the Jewish community. They thought of themselves as Iranians fighting against the dictatorship. 
And when the Iranian uh, revolution started, it was an Iranian revolution. It wasn't an Islamic revolution. And pretty much every group of the Iranian society participated to some level in the revolution. And we see that in the Jewish community, it was very, it manifested itself in many ways. The story of the Jewish hospital that actually collaborated with revolutionary leaders and used the special status of Jews and the protection that they got from the Shah's government to treat wounded protesters from the demonstrations against the Shah. This is something, this is, I think, where we see in action the level of loyalties to the Jewish values that they consider as uh, love thy neighbor like thyself and the commitment to the Iranian nationalism and Iranian and the Iranian nation building. This is, again, the nuanced reading of uh, the Islamic revolution. is not, not an Islamic revolution. It turned out to be an Islamic revolution. But again, if you see how the, the 40th anniversary of the revolution was marked in the, in the U.S. and in popular newspapers and, you know, sophisticated newspapers like Washington Post and New York Times, sometimes the, the question always pops up, why did the Iranian people decide to go on this uprising against liberal rulers such as the Shah? He was so good to them. He was so good to, I mean, Iran was model of, of liberalism in, in that part of the world. Why did they? And there is no attempt to uh, contextualize it. It's always like they pose the, the mullahs versus the Shah, as if these were the only two options that existed back then. And I think that it helps us to see today the different shades of the groups that, you know, together they form the Islamic Republic. When we read about the sanctions, and uh, if you don't read too much into it, it's easy to justify crippling sanctions against Iran. But when you realize that Iranians pay the price. It's not necessarily the leaders of the country that pay the price, but there, there are many groups. There are Jews, Christians. There are people who support the regime, but people that oppose the regime. I hope that it helps us to humanize Iran in ways that other sources do not allow us to do. I think that, that what you're saying here is really important because I think that it's very easy to demonize countries, rogue nations, rogue yeah. states, you know, Iran being one of them. You know, I think about some of the other similar ones like North Korea yeah. you know, and so on. And having historical understanding helps us to, to understand them better. And I mean, that sounds kind of tautological in a way, but I think that, that it's important because it's not about rehabilitating rogue states, but it's about having a complex and sophisticated understanding uh, of the world in which we're living. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, want, I wanted to draw on that in a way especially since we're getting towards the end of the time that we have. And in a way, I feel like we've already talked about this, but I was hoping that you might give us a little bit more of, of really what we're coming from, which is to say, you've written a book about the history of the Jews in Iran. I'd like to delve even further into this question of what we learned from it. We've talked about the ways in which it helps us to understand the revolution. We've talked about the ways in which it helps us to understand Zionism and it helps us to understand various aspects of Jewish culture within Iran. But when we talk about the history of the Jews in Iran, I think about this in three realms. I'm, I, like us to think you know, in the last few minutes that we have about how looking at the history of the Jews in Iran helps us to gain a better understanding of Jewish history as a whole, how it helps us to, to have a new approach to the history of Iran and also to the broader region. And maybe if you want to comment on that a little bit. In terms of the history of Iran, what I'm hoping to do is to show that Iran is a complex society. 
It's a society of minorities. It's a society of many classes and ethnicities and languages. And we cannot just treat it as one cloth of people. In terms of the Jewish world, Jewish history was never just about Holocaust or redemption or uh, golden age. History is never in the black or white. It's mostly in the gray zone. I mean, it's useful to think about Jewish history everywhere, but especially in the Middle East where there is relatively very little curiosity and it takes very little place in our collective historical memory. And what I want us to think about is, again, the history of relations of Jews and Muslims in those countries, of Jews and Christians in those countries, and the existence of Jews in the region, which goes beyond the scope of Zionism or Israel or biblical Eretz Israel. Yeah, you spoke before a bit about the diaspora, and this is an issue which is very personal for me. I lived in LA for a long time, so I am very familiar with the Persian Jewish community. And what interests me, it's partially a terminological question, but I think that there's a greater significance here that we can think about, which is that you tend to use the terminology of Iranian Jews as opposed to Persian Jews. And do you maybe want to clarify a bit of the difference between these two ideas and perhaps about the relationship of this history that you've talked about with the development of the Persian Jewish diaspora around the world and especially in places like L.A.? First of all, we have to realize that Persian is an ethnic category and Iranian is a national category. Some of the Iranian Jews in L.A. are Persian, some of them are Kurdish, some of them are Iraqi, so Arab ethnically. But they all come together as part of this national group of diaspora, which is Iran. We also, I mean, this is something that I'm, I'm working on now, and the emergence of the category of Persian in the diaspora is something very interesting. And I think that it's mostly from the post-1979 wave of immigration. And this is something that now is being studied by, by a number of good friends of mine who work on Iranian identity in the diaspora and, and Iran after the revolution. In 1979, when Iranian Jews start to come to L.A., this is also the beginning of the 24 hours news cycle. And the 24 hours news cycle was inspired by the hostage crisis. And immediately in the American society, Iran became synonymous with the hostage crisis and the barbarian Iranians that took over the embassy. And the way for the new immigrants, Jewish and non-Jews, to distance themselves from the, from the crazy people on television was to define themselves as Persian and to invoke this ancient identity that is peaceful and, you know, go back to the, to the biblical script and, and can create this wall between them and the Iranians on television. I guess there's only one more thing that I might ask. <laughs> and I feel like I keep asking more things, but I think it's just such an interesting topic. Is this book going to be translated into Persian? Parts of it have been translated to Persian. From time to time, I see chapters published in the Iranian, in an Iranian Jewish magazine that is published in Tehran. I hope that it will be translated. Iran is not subject to the copyright right. agreement, so <laughs> well, well, they don't ask permissions. <laughs> the, the, re the reason why I ask, I mean, it's, it's always good, I guess, to have our books translated into different languages, but it speaks to audience. I think that a lot of what we've spoken about uh, in our conversation today has to do with what we learn from your book 
as Western Jews, right, or, or as Jews in the, in the English-speaking world, right? And, and I include Israel within that. But part of the question is, if this book were to be translated into Persian, it has a possibility of reaching a different audience in a way. And I guess part of the question is here, what do other audiences perhaps have to gain from this history, and not just from those who are reading your book in English? This is such a good question. I think that Iranian readers would appreciate getting a nuanced account of their society, of their experience of the, not just the Jewish community in Iran in the 20th century, but also to see how it's connected to Iranian history, Iranian modern history. That's it. I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping to get readers' responses and and see if I can come back in a couple of years and tell you more about <laughs> Right. Well, we'll have to talk again then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank yeah. you again so much. This is just really a lot of fun and just a really fabulous conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And thanks to you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll share the episode with a friend and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. You can find this episode online at jewishhistory.fm slash Iran, where I've linked to the introduction to the book. And you can also purchase the book at a 20% discount from Stanford University Press using the discount code Sternfeld20. Until next time, I'm Jason Lustig, and thanks for listening to Jewish History Matters.